Welcome to Be The Light Podcast with C.B. Barthlow, lead pastor of Denver Beacon. I am your host, Pastor Ty Morris. Our desire is to lead the lost, the broken, and the hopelessness of our communities, to be light bearers in our city set on a hill. Now tune in for our sermon series. Long section of text today, but um, a phenomenal way for us to wrap up this series. Has this series blessed anybody? Have, have, has anybody like really enjoyed this time together? Just me and Pastor Rob. I have loved this series. I'm not going to lie to you. As a part of my study and, and my preparation, I've just been really, really blessed. The, the thing I love about our time together is that this is a story most of us know, but it's been so multi-layered, so rich, and so illuminating of God's great heart for us. And so I'm excited to close it today with a message entitled, A God's Eye View. Today's message is called A God's Eye View. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, we thank you for this scripture, this time, this family. God, we know that you organized and ordained all of this on purpose. And so God, because of that, we surrender. We just say, have your way. Do what you want to do and say what you want to say in this place that we might leave changed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When I was about six years old, I started to fly by myself. Um, my parents were divorced and I would get to go visit my dad. Um, and starting at the age of six, I got to fly on an airplane by myself. And so uh, my mom would bring me to the airport and they would assign me a stewardess who would give me my own little button, the wings that you get to wear, and they'd walk me onto the plane and then all during the flight I'd have my own stewardess and then when I landed another stewardess would take me to my dad. And, and I got to do this for several years and I've always loved flying, but I loved to be the six-year-old with his own entourage onto the plane. It was just something, I mean, you know, the regular folks had to wait in line, but I just, I got right to the front. They brought me into the cabin, I saw the cockpit, it was awesome. And it birthed in me a love for flying. I don't know how many of you like to fly, I love to fly, it's just so fun. How many of you hate to fly? Fearful of flying, amen. Equal measure, the rest of us are like, it's a thing, I'll do it, no big deal. I love to sit on planes next to people who don't like to fly. <laughs> They're nervous, and I'm like, isn't this great? You want to look out the window? Can we switch? I want to check out and look. I want to see this. What I love about flying mostly is I love, I love being up there. I love the view that I get from the sky. There is absolutely something breathtaking about being above the clouds. It really does take your breath away. It helps you to see the world differently. It helps you to realize, like, there's so much more than what you see today, right now. And, and, and I understand it's sometimes a challenge for you, to, to for many of us, to, to think, like, I'm in a metal tube with 200 other people hurtling through the air at hundreds of miles an hour, miles above, right? Like, when you put it in that perspective, it can get pretty scary. But when you really get to see the world from that vantage point, it's life-changing. I don't know if you've ever flown into New York City, but there is something absolutely magnificent about coming around and seeing the island of Manhattan with all of its buildings. I mean, you can be in Manhattan on any street corner, and literally it all looks the exact same. One big concrete jungle. But fly above it at 20,000 feet and see what man has been able to make from God's point of view. And it is breathtaking. And I've always loved 
love this because I love to see things differently. I've always been enamored by the world. The Bible tells us to be in the world but not of the world. And, and for many of my years, I was the latter and not the former. But now by the power of the Holy Spirit, I get to be the former in the world but not of it. I've always loved seeing new things and experiencing new places, a diversity of culture and taste and flavor. My wife, her family's from Mexico and Guatemala. And every chance we get, we go to new places. And I'm always like, take me to the place where there's no white people. Amen. <laughs> right? Give me some real food, right? And, and you won't really understand what I'm talking about until you get to immerse yourself in new experiences. And I've always been excited for that. But most of all, I've been excited when I get a chance to see things differently, specifically when I see things like God sees things. Now what I mean by this is, there is a journey that every Christian is on. You and I will walk this walk of faith, and if we're really blessed, the Lord will give us an opportunity to um, just kind of take our lens off and say, like, this is what I'm really doing. And when that happens, when you get that kind of a perspective, when you get up in the air like that, it, it, it should. It's meant to. It, it darn right has to change the way that you think, the way that you act, and really the way that you live from that point on. And that, that's, that's kind of what we're talking about here today. I know that we've been walking through this conversation with Jonah and God. And, 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 and one of the things that I've been talking about with people in my small group, if you're not in a small group, get in a small group. I love small group. And we've been talking in a small group about this troublesome last chapter. We know the story about the reluctant prophet who flees from his calling, who's swallowed by the whale, who's spit up, who preaches the word. There's a transformation. The Bible tells us this is actually the greatest evangelistic moment in the history of the world. And then there's this final chapter where Jonah has been rebellious but redeemed. He's run but still been brought to a place of restoration. He's, he's disagreed with God, but God in his grace has brought him to a destiny that's so beautiful, and then in chapter 4 he's just still arguing with God. I like that. <coughs> Amen? Some people are like, I don't get it, he's still mad. I'm like, yeah, so are you. <laughs> Most of us, can we be honest in just a second? You've been mad at God sometimes, right? <laughs> Am I right? I mean, you know him, you love him, you pray, you seek him. Some days are good, some days are bad. But a lot of times, us Christians, because we're still human, we're like, I just don't get it. This is so frustrating. Why didn't I win Mega Millions? I bought 20 tickets. Is that just me? Is that just me? I was like, I told you I would tie 15%. You didn't have to like wait after the lump sum and then taxes. Okay, wait. No. Most of us, if we're really being honest about ourselves, we're just like Jonah. Even though God is still gracious and good and he works through our own disbelief and our own struggles, we still have these stubborn moments where we're just like, I'm not getting up way. And so that's why I love this chapter of Jonah. Now, to catch up, if you haven't been here over the course of the six-week series, you should know that this book called Jonah is written by the prophet named Jonah. It's an autobiography. What's interesting is it's not the most flattering autobiography. I mean, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a good prophet. 
He's a prophet whose words have come true to the glory and to the benefit and the prosperity of Israel. He's well respected. God uses him mightily amongst his people. He has affection for his people. He's a prophet for the people. They love him. And God calls him to do a mighty thing. And as we just discussed, it is the single greatest conversion in the history of the world. This dude is awesome. But when he writes his own story, he writes the part, the parts where he's not awesome. Which is awesome. Because most of history is written by the winners. And yet this, this part, the biblical narrative, maybe it's the thing I love most about the Bible, is it's written mostly about losers. Or people who continue to fail and make mistakes and how God works mightily through them. And so in this final chapter, when Jonah and God are having this conversation, Jonah and God really wrestle it out in a place of authenticity. So that Jonah shows you that it's okay for you to be frustrated. It's okay for you to still be stubborn as long as you haven't given up on the conversation with God. It's okay for you to wrestle with God. That's why Jacob's name was changed to Israel. He wants you to be working with him. That's right. And so Jonah discovers in this final chapter three things. Number one, that God is over everything. Number two, that God is always doing a new thing. And number three, it's time to see things like God sees things. Now, the first thing I want you to understand this is at the end of our lesson last time, when the king of Nineveh in verse 10 from chapter 3 said, who knows, maybe God will turn. God did turn. But the beauty of the matter is, is that God never changed his mind. God is sovereign, immutable, unchangeable. He's over everything. He's in everything. Through him, all things are made. He is and was and ever will be. Amen? Amen. And so you can't change his mind. Amen? Amen? I've heard it said, faith moves God. No, it doesn't. Faith moves you. That's right. Faith moves you to align with God. He doesn't move. And so at the end of that chapter, when, when the king says, who knows, maybe he'll turn. He does turn in their perspective. But God has always had a plan for Nineveh. Amen? Amen? That's the beauty, is that since God's over everything, he's always making things happen for himself. God didn't make any mistakes, including you. That's right. Even when you feel like your whole life is a mistake, God doesn't see it that way. And so, when God does what God always wanted to do for Nineveh, which is change the course of history for the most heathen of people, the biggest enemies of Israel, to save them all to a place of absolute beautiful, beautiful purity. God meant And God loves it. But Jonah doesn't. Jonah says in the beginning of verse 4, he says, Is this not what I said when I was in my country? He says, I knew you were good. And what he's implying is that they're not. I, I kind of love this picture because this is going to speak to every one of us who's religious. Which isn't you. Don't worry, I'm not talking about you. <laughs> I'm at all of you. Every one of us has a really underlying religious spirit in our heart. Did you know that? Did you know that when you get saved, you get changed? And immediately when you're changed, when your mind is renewed, your life is transformed, your heart is regenerated, the enemy goes immediately to work to attack that thing. And one of the ways the immediate attack comes from the enemy about your relationship with Jesus is to get you to become religious about Jesus. 
which means suddenly you feel like you know who should and should not be saved. <laughs> huh? Have you ever seen somebody get baptized and you thought, eh, I don't know. <laughs> There's a video on social media of a young girl who gets baptized and when she pops up, she poses. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, no, dunk her again. <laughs> That's religion. That's religion. Religion says, I know the way things are supposed to go, and so they better go that way. And every one of us has it. It comes up when you see somebody who professes God but makes mistakes and professes God and makes mistakes and it perturbs you when you should be rejoicing that they continue to come back to the Lord. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times. It, it, it should be. It should make you excited when you see somebody whose life used to be a disaster walk in their calling and become bold in their faith, maybe even be ordained as a deacon, an elder, or a pastor. But you know what? For some of us, we're just waiting for them to mess up again. I see it all the time when pastors fall. And people are like, see, I knew it. No, you didn't. And you shouldn't. When pastors fall, it should grieve us. Yeah. And it should call us closer. Yeah. When you see a leader fall, you should call and pray for your leader. Not say, see, this is what's wrong with the church. And I want to push this one, one even further. For millennials, and those of you who use TikTok, and I don't know how to use TikTok, but I assume this is also true for you. <laughs> I want to tell you this. Let me just level with you face to face. When you see news of a leader fall, don't share it. That's going to sound strange to you, but I want to tell you this. You have a world of influence in front of you. Believe me, you go to this church. You love Jesus. He lives in your heart. He's made a way for you to become something that you weren't without him. For the wages of sin is death, and now you bring forth new life because in him all things are made new. And there's a whole world full of people who don't know Jesus, but they know you. And so when you post things that criticize the church, they think you don't agree with the church. So when you go to church and it's Friends and Family Sunday and you say you should come to church, they're like, why would I ever go to church? Do you see what I'm saying? It's just like this. If your family is struggling, you don't tell everybody in the streets about your family. You run to help your family. Come on. Amen. Amen. All of my folks 40 and older are like, amen. What's TikTok? But the same is true. We're called to be together and religion tears us apart. So Jonah, he's frustrated with God. He says, I know that you were good. I just didn't think that they were worth it. And I knew that you were going to do this. And I, I don't want to be a part of this. He's religious. He sounds just like the story that you and I know. It's from Luke chapter 15. You know the one. And maybe it's the one you got saved hearing, the story of the prodigal son. This is the message. I got saved. I was seven years old when Billy Graham crusade. Billy Graham preached about the prodigal son. Part of the story that you don't know is, is later in the text. In chapter 15, verse 25, it says, Now the older son was in the field, and he came and drew near the house. 
and he heard the music and the dancing, the celebration that the young son had come home. And he called one of the servants and he says, what does this all mean? And the servant said, your brother has come home and your father has killed a fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. Jonah was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. He said, look, these many years I've served you, Dad. I never disobeyed your command. And you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But this son, these people, they devoured your property with prostitutes. They killed the fattened, and you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said to his son, son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother was dead. Come on. And he's alive. Come on. And I just wonder if that's the way the Lord leads. Jonah said, I know that you were good, and they are not worth your goodness. And God said, do you do well to be angry? They need me as much as you need And the reason I want to just labor here is I need you to understand, like, there is a world desperate for the Lord that you know, and God has appointed you to bring the word to them. And every time that you fold your arms in frustration when somebody gets on your nerves, drives you crazy. That's a moment when religion is driving away. You don't want to be like Jonah or the older son. You want to be like the father who says, it's time to celebrate when someone comes. And I want to break this this whole time, this six weeks that we've been together with a missional call at the start of this conversation, which is, are you letting religion drive the way you interact with people, or is your relationship with Jesus so strong that everyone who meets you is ready to celebrate because we are about to lead them to Jesus? Amen. Are you leading people to Jesus? Are you celebrating? Could you be like Jonah when you saw all those converted people and you were dancing in the street with the people who were once your enemies who are now your brothers? Or are you frustrated? that God isn't doing it the way that you want. Come on. Now, here, here's the challenge for you. I want you to understand. If you feel that sense of frustration, if you've been frustrated, don't worry. You're not alone. That's the course of human history. Okay? Israel was frustrated when God had him walking. Israel. No. Let's try. Oh. Israel was frustrated. <laughs> Israel was frustrated when God had him walking through the desert. Because they didn't understand what he was doing because he was doing a new thing. The Pharisees, frustrated with Jesus when he was doing things on the Sabbath that didn't meet their rules because he was doing a new thing. Heck, even the disciples were confused by Jesus because he had them spitting all the time because he was doing a new thing. Because in Isaiah 43, 19, he says, see, now I do a new thing. And it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I make a way in the wilderness. Here's the best part about this. God is over everything, and he is always doing a new thing amongst us. Now, not a new thing for him, amen, but a new thing for you. I meet people all the time that get saved, and they're so excited that things are going to get better. And the truth is, when you get saved, yes, life gets better. <laughs> Eventually. Can I tell you that? How many of you walked with Jesus in those first couple of years? You were like, help me, Lord! It gets really hard when you get really serious about God, doesn't it? It gets frustrating. All the people that used to love you start turning their backs on you. Things get difficult. You have to deal with the wreckage of your own past. You have to be honest about things. You have to be truthful to yourself. And what the Lord's doing in hard times like that 
if he's making you reliant on him. Yeah. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But for a moment, you've got to take off the things and put on a new thing. Yeah. Behold, I do a new thing. If you thought Christianity was going to be a cinch because everything was going to be the same, you are wrong. Part and parcel to the faith is change. It's different. It's new. Behold, all things are new. Every change in this room comes through challenge. Every one of us who's here who's been made different has struggled. And it's good. Sometimes I think that God uses difficult seasons to make us different so that we won't go back. That's right. If it was as simple as just putting down one vice and picking up Jesus, how easy would it be for you to pick up the vice again? In my own life, in my own recovery, man, recovery was not easy. It was hard. I lived in my parents' basement for the first time in 12 years early in my recovery. And while the dinners were good, hallelujah, the weight gain will kill you. No, um, it was a challenge to be new in my faith and new in my recovery because everything was new. And Jonah is just like that in this moment. He sees that God is moving, true to his character, but different than the way in which Jonah thought that he should act to the people that Jonah thought that he should act in a way that God wasn't always like before, at least not to Jonah. And so Jonah, just like the rest of us, is frustrated, he's stubborn, he's skeptical, but here's the key, you can't miss this. It says that Jonah goes onto the outside of town to watch what happens, right? Which in my mind is totally disobedient. Because the Lord's like, this is my thing, and Jonah's like, I'll watch and see what happens. It's pretty remarkable the way that this prophet reacts. But what he does on the outside of this city, the Bible says, he builds a booth. Do you see that? It says he goes outside of the city, east of the city, and he built a booth for himself there. The Hebrew word for this is sukkot. It's a hut, a shed, or a booth, built in commemoration of the time of the Exodus when the people of Israel traveled from their departure from Egypt and they built temporary shelters. And these temporary shelters were marked by a roof that was lightly covered with branches. And the reason it was lightly covered with branches is it was never meant to be a permanent structure to, pro to, to protect them from the elements. It wasn't meant to be a permanent structure that kept them there forever. It was meant to be a temporary structure that lightly protected them from the sun, but was open so they could communicate with God. This is not an accident that Jonah, who's big mad at God, builds a hut, a booth, a sukkah, to sit outside with no limit between him and God so that he can argue with God. Now, I just, I mean, we could just stay right there. Most of us, when we get frustrated with God, we get quiet, don't we? We get mad at him, we stop praying to him. We've talked about this a million times. And you start complaining about him to people who can do nothing right. And Jonah says, that's not the way that it works. What I love about Jonah is he's nothing if he's not authentic. He's frustrated with God, he's arguing, he's mad, he doesn't want it to go this way, but he doesn't stop talking to God. And I want to tell you this right now. The single greatest thing that you have in your arsenal of faith is your prayer life. I want to tell you right now, it's not your playlist. Come on, somebody. It's not your new book by whoever it is. That is not going to get you from here to there. The only thing that changes the circumstance around 
around you and ultimately changes you and your circumstance is your prayer life with God. So the question is, do you have a prayer life with God? Are you actively engaged in a conversation with the God who created all things? Because he is actively engaged with you. Yes, sir. Now, most of us, we're not. Paul of most Christians would say the thing that they do the least is pray. Isn't that strange? Because it's the easiest thing. Like, you can't wear sequin shoes and jump around and sweat all by yourself. You need Pastor Ty to help you do that. Amen? Like, you, you, can't, you can't do a lot of things that we do in community and church because it's meant to do this together. But prayer is the one thing that's designed for us to do it all by yourself. Whether you're with a crew or in your car or in your prayer closet, prayer is the mechanism by which God says it's always going to be us no matter if there's just you in the world. Yes. And so Jonah shows us this. He gets frustrated. He goes outside. He builds this booth, a building with no limit. He says, I'm mad at you, and I don't know what to do, but the truth of the matter is, is that I'm just I'm not going to stop talking to you. And so God, true to form, shows up to talk to him. God uses the last part of this story to not only give the last word in Jonah's story, but to teach Jonah really who he is. Because the Bible says that Jonah's sitting in, in, the, in the booth, and it says, The Lord appointed a plant, and it came up over Jonah, and it gave him shape. And I love that in this moment, even though Jonah's frustrated with God, God's not frustrated with Jonah. That should be good news for you who struggle in your faith from time to time to realize that God's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your anger. He's not afraid of your frustration. Like, he's still actively engaged with you, even if you're kicking dirt. He's present and engaged. And in this moment, he builds a plan, this gracious act to give this stubborn prophet a moment of relief, comfort. And then the very next day, it seems as though God's equally harsh. The Bible says he sends a worm to devour that plant and a scorching east wind to blow until Jonah is brought right back out of his comfort into a place of discomfort. So discomforted is he that he once again says, just end it. And I love this conversation between God and Jonah because I think it's important for us to look for similar patterns in our own life. Has God ever been gracious to you when you've been downright stubborn? Amen. Amen. Has God ever been really firm with you when you needed it? Notice that God is working in both instances just like this. And, 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 and Jonah says, just kill me. I'm, I'm, I'm mad, super mad, and I'm, I'm done. And again, God says, do you like being mad? Like, is this, is this fun for you? This, like, this is your thing, isn't it? Like, I do amazing things, and you pout. Is that how we are? And I love that question right there. I, I, I hope that you hear the Lord similarly in similar conversational fashion. And what he's doing in this moment is he's engaging Jonah in the midst of his skepticism and his stubbornness to teach him to see things like God sees things. Because even though Jonah is gifted at saying the things of God, he is not yet gifted at seeing the things of God. 
It's true that you can be gifted in one area of your faith, but come on, still need work in another. It's true that we have gifted people in the body of believers who still need Jesus in other areas. And we as a church are called to walk with each other. Not everybody in this room is going to be perfect. Break it to you. Nobody in this room is perfect. Every one of us needs work. And so God, in this moment, he says, here's a little relief. You like that? Jonah's like, I love it and I love you. And he says, great. It's gone. Jonah's like, I hate it and I hate you. God says, how is that working out for you? You having a faith that only works for you. Why is it that you love me when it seems like things work out for you? But when I do things that aren't perfect in your eyes, you get mad. Is this what we're going to do together? How's that working out for you? Oh. I have two minutes. We're going to close this. Because we have baptism. But I'm just going to end it like this with this big question. How long has this been your faith? How long have you really loved Jesus when it's going well? When you found new love? When you got your credit right? When you got a new job? When you prayed somebody out of your life and they left? <laughs> and you were like, I can pray. Come on now. How long? Has your faith been predicated about how well it goes for you according to your plans? Inversely, what happens when it doesn't go according to your plans? How, how, how long are you willing to be frustrated with God that he's not working on your agenda? And I might just, just put it out like this. How long are you willing to be bitter that life isn't as you planned it? How long are you willing to be stubborn that you don't get what you want every day? How willing are you to be defined by pride in yourself and unwilling to let people see the real you? The Lord might ask you in this question today, how does that work out for you? Why is it that you only love me when I'm on your team, but you're never really on my team? This is the hardest part of this whole message here today, which is this. It's really good and fun to be a Christian in church on Sunday. Amen? Amen. Because we got good donuts. <laughs> the coffee is free. The t-shirts are now whatever I want to pay. <laughs> when things are working for me, it's really good to be a Christian. And God says, it's not always going to be easy. Yeah. In fact, I got other things that I need to do. It's going to be a real challenge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it won't work out for you if you hate me when I do me. That's what God might say to you today. This is not going to go well for us if every time I do the things I need to do because I'm God, I'm sovereign, and I'm over all things. Every time I need to make something new or change something or make things new in the world and you don't like it, you're going to really struggle. And the truth of the matter is you don't need to struggle. You just need to stop being so mad all the time, so frustrated all the time, so angry all the time, as though I work for you. My name is God. I created the universe. I don't work for you. Breaking to you. God doesn't need your approval. He's asking for your agreement. He's going to move on it whether you like it on, or not. For your first time Beacon, welcome to Beacon. This is <laughs> he loves you and he died for you and he wants for you to have eternity. But he's not doing it on your terms. 
He does it on his terms. And he invites you to be a part of the whole process today. So the question I'd ask you is, how's it working out for you to fight him every day so that you're a God at peace? I know it was hard, but I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask you today one big question. Yes. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for this time together today. God, I thank you for the close of this message. And I thank you that it was a hard word. God, I know that you um, you desire to build communion with us. Communion with us. Your desire is to be gracious. Your steadfast love endures forever. You are known as merciful and compassionate. You are patient. You are beyond measure. And you always love us, even when we seem unlovable. And yet, God, the truth of the matter is, is that sometimes we mistake that grace. And we think it means that we get to call the shots. But God, today, we hear your question loud and clear. for joining Be The Light Podcast with lead pastor C.B. Barthlow. Visit our website at denverbeacon.org. To download our Beacon app, text Beacon to 97000. Once again, text Beacon to 97000. Or join us in person at Beacon this Sunday, 10 a.m. at Comedy Works, 1226 15th Street in Denver, Colorado. Whatever you do, please remember to be the light. Let's go!